0: This Week in Wealth is powered by Alpha Wealth Group. If you're serious about retirement and have saved $250,000 or more, call Alpha Wealth Group's Tom Fortino now, 630-934-1855 or alphawealthgroup.com. Alpha Wealth Group, retirement made simple.
1: Hey, good morning, Chicago, and welcome back to the third year of This Week in Wealth. Tom, we're starting our wow. third year together.
0: Wow. I know. That's, that's
1: <laughs> Think of all the the tens of thousands of people we've helped on this show. I,
0: I guess that's a testament to the thing because I just flew by, so there yeah. you go. Flew it's easy by Well, time with you.
1: I'm Elise Glink. I'm the CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company.
0: And I'm Tom Fortino, uh, the founder and principal of the Alpha Wealth Group right here in the Chicago Land area.
1: So if you want to talk with us, uh, ask us a question if you'd like Tom to do an x ray of your portfolio, six three oh, 934-1855, or you can go to alphawealthgroup.com. All right, so let's dig in, Tom, because you have warned us about the downsides of one of the staples, it's really become a staple of a 401k, the target date fund. Now, a target date fund is an asset allocation formula that assumes you will retire in a certain year and adjusts its model as you get closer, mm-hmm. right? Is that pretty yep. much?
0: That's pretty much it.
1: That's pretty much it. I'm not a huge <laughs> fan. What do you think about them?
0: Well, I think you have to be careful with target date funds because 401k plans, employer plans, have a lot of regulations on how they're structured. And part of that are these default funds to say, look, we want to make it easy, as easy for the participant as possible. One of those things is to say, just figure out a date you think you're going to retire and pick a fund. And so, yeah, on the one hand, it's nice. But on the other hand, we have to be careful where we don't just become passive and not really understanding what we own. I'll give you a couple examples. First of all, so target date funds, you know, you see them in, probably most people are familiar, they see the 2030, the 2035, the 2040. So that's a date, and so the farther out it is, the more in equity or the more risk it has. The shorter it is, the less, you know, risk you have, the more it's gonna be in fixed investments. But a couple issues I take, you really want to look under the hood with these things, a couple things. Number one, which you may be surprised, if 50% is in equities, a lot of times half of that, or maybe a little less than half is in international. Are you aware of that? Um, do you know what is in the fixed? So really, it's just really a fund of funds. And so it may not be what you think. And so you really want to kind of take a deeper dive into knowing what's in these funds, because they may not be what you think. And also, they may have more risk than you think. All
1: right, well, so here are the two things that I don't like about target date funds. Number mm-hmm. one, it makes an assumption about when you're going to stop working, so it adjusts and reverse engineers the fund based on that. You know, and they encourage you to pick like when you're going to be 65 years old. But I think a lot of people, if you're in your 30s, I think you'll be working past 65 because I think you're going to be a knowledge sure. worker and you're going to be able to. So, you know, to me that's one issue. The second issue is when you said fund of funds. You know, you're just paying fees on top of fees for a target date fund. I find them to be a little on the expensive side. Do you think that's true?
0: You know, there can be. You have to again be aware of that to, because they're offered by a number of different companies, and so you know, again, this is why it's important to understand what exactly um, you know they consist of. Vanguard offers some, T Rowe Price offers some. There's just all these different companies, and so I, I would say anyone that has a target date fund really. Take this, you know, as a call to action to say, I want to see what, first of all, what my expense is, as you're saying, at least. Also, what exactly does it consist of? I see it's 2030, a 2030 fund. Okay, what does it own? You really need to know that. Let's
1: say somebody doesn't want to use a target date fund. What would you suggest to somebody who is trying to think about retirement? Uh, these are supposed to be easy button funds, right? You kind of mm-hmm. push it and you're done. You just shove it all in there. Trust them to do the right kind of asset allocation. But what right. if you want to do more yourself? What would you recommend instead of that?
0: Well, that's, again, what I say with, with these funds. You have to be careful because you kind of just fall in the trap. Of saying I'm all set. It's twenty thirty fund or whatever it might be most 401k plans I will make a couple comments here but 401k plans you know typically as you know offer maybe 30 different options some less some maybe a little more or 20 options but try to customize the plan because these don't take into account anything else you have going on in your life they don't take into account anything other mm-hmm. than what your income is going to be what your spouse has any of these other things i think it makes more sense for you to sit back and create your own strategy within the 401k that's what i would tell you to do build your own portfolio it's not as hard as it may seem you can do it and then it makes more it fits more with what you're trying to accomplish and if you have investments outside of the 401k you can create it so we've talked about this before at least you don't want them overlapping maybe they complement you might have some assets in a brokerage account that are a little more risky, and so you complement with with what you have in these. This is how you start to create a, an investment plan.
1: All right. So you know, as I know, you're big on the whole retirement roadmap and the X ray mm-hmm. of your retirement plan, and I think that those are very useful tools when you're evaluating something mm-hmm. like a target date fund. I wonder if. The target date fund. If let's take the reverse side, is there a place for a target date fund, or are there just better, cheaper choices out there? Is there ever, <laughs> is there ever a time when a target date fund is just a you know hit it and forget it?
0: Here's what I would say: If you're investing, I'm never going to be critical of someone putting money away and putting them in investments and putting it into a 401k. That's terrific. But I would say in almost any case, it's very I can't think of an instance where I would suggest a target date fund. So for people out there that have 401ks that are investing, and I had someone the other day, I said, you know, they sent me, here are my offerings. Let's design a portfolio within the, your 401k. We can do that. And so that's something I would help people with. That's what I would say. I would say construct your own investments inside it because now you become a little more proactive. You could become a little more engaged, and you certainly know what you own.
1: I love that. I love that idea that you could take your 401k options and hand it over to you and say, okay, this is what I have to work with. What are my best choices inside here? Because I remember when I was setting up the 401k plan, and we use Vanguard, you know, Mm -hmm. full disclosure, both because it's incredibly efficient financially, but it Mm -hmm. also is incredibly efficient price-wise there's 30 funds that are part of it. And we did include a couple of the target date funds, but I pushed them out way, you know. I was like, sure. oh, what's your <laughs> farthest <laughs> date? It wasn't 2030. It was like, I don't know, 2080 or something. Sure. Um, I, I don't know if it was 2080. They, they didn't have that yet. But But the point was I picked the farthest ones they had, but then right. there was all these other, like 25 other things. And so my employees came to me and they said, what should we invest in? And I said, well... You know, I can tell you what I think everybody generally should invest in, but I don't want to tell you specifically. I'm not your financial advisor. You've got to make these decisions on your own or you've got to hire somebody. But of course, if you want a total stock fund and a total bond fund and a, you know what I mean, those mm-hmm. funds are easy to recommend because it's sure. everything, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea of handing it to you and saying, okay. You know, work with this person or work with this person. And I'm sure you actually have corporate clients who have you help them with the 401ks for their companies. Is that how you work with them?
0: Yeah, I have. I've had a a number of 401k plans that we put. I have a few right now with some business owners and we put them in place, we've set them up. I mean, there's other things you wanna do to make it as efficient as possible. And then certainly we help with any investment strategies or structuring portfolios that make sense for the client, but taking everything into account, right? Yeah. What they're trying to accomplish when they plan on retiring, what other income they have, and so on and so forth.
1: All right. We're going to hold it there, and we're going to take a short break. When we come back, text us, call us, 630-934-1855, or go to alphawealthgroup.com. You're listening to This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink here with Tom Fortino, our number where you can call or text with your questions, and I encourage you to do that. Join this conversation, 630-934-1855, or you can always go to alphawealthgroup.com if you want to talk to Tom one-on-one. That's the place to go. Set up an appointment and leave your question there. All right, Tom, we were just talking about sort of fees and target date funds and how expensive they are. And it really, when we were at at the commercial break, we started talking about just how much are retirement investors paying in fees. So I had just read this article that talked about how people who have literally walked away from or decided against working with a financial advisor because they felt the fees they were going to be charged were excessive. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you can explain, without getting too much into the weeds, but maybe give us a few examples of how you're paid by clients. And how you help people sort of manage the cost of managing their money.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I would just make a comment about fees. It's always, whenever you pay a fee, it always comes back to what is the value for getting, because what you're getting for that. In the absence of value, that's a problem, right? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't, you know, you should always be aware of your fees, always. And they should be simple, right? So, for example... I know some people in this industry, because I'm an investment advisor rep. What does that mean? That means we're fee-based and we can manage portfolios for a fee. So, you know, mine is straightforward and simple. It's a, the, you know, you have a fee, that's it. There's no trading fees. There's no additional fees. They don't have to look for fees. If you use stocks and ETFs, stocks have no fees, you know. So what I find sometimes in this industry is, and, and it, it's not an indictment of anyone, just sometimes you have to be aware of this, that, you know, you may, the person may say, well, I'm going to charge you 1%. But then underneath there, there's a strategy that charges another 1%. And you have to really be care- understand that. That's why, you know, just ask. Say what exactly, and then, but sometimes you don't know that when they say, well, yeah, I'm charging you 1%. That may be true, but is someone else charging me too? I saw one where I went through this, which to me, I mean, again, maybe it's worth it, I don't know, but I saw, you know, in someone's statements, they were charging a fee to manage the account. Then they were charging a financial planning fee, and quite frankly, my opinion was, when I looked at this person's, what they had done for them, I was like, "He's this person's charging another fee on top of their men. are you aware of that? And I don't know if he was or wasn't, but you see that too. So you really, you wanna be, hopefully people are being transparent, but you really wanna understand these fees.
1: So I have to tell you, it's sort of interesting. I had an experience with a financial planning group, I don't know, maybe it's 10, 12, 15 years ago now, and they handed me a big, thick book. And and as you you and I have discussed many times, I know enough to be dangerous. So I'm I'm probably a financial advisor's nightmare client. Right. <laughs> I mean, just to be fair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no comment. No, I'm just kidding.
1: I'm sure you're not. No, no. I, but I but be, but because I I can ask questions and I can push people to. Sure. You, know, no, un- you know, uncover the questions to ask. exactly, and and a lot of times people who if they have something to hide, they don't like financial journalists coming <laughs> into their face, right? Because it's so much easier to just hand you a big thick binder that supposedly sure. is your roadmap, and say, well, this is what your eight thousand dollars that you just paid me covers, and you need to update this every year, and so next year I'll pay, charge you another eight thousand. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm not sure you've de- delivered value here. Mm-hmm. And I already know all this. Like, what, have you, <laughs> what else are you going to reveal or what is the, you know, the future? I think that sometimes we, you know, people don't know what to ask and they're afraid to sound stupid. And so they don't ask yeah. questions, especially when it comes to fees. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think is a best practice when you go to an advisor and you start, you know, to make people feel comfortable enough so you can talk about fees?
0: Well, I think you know what I try to do in, in the initial meeting when I meet with someone is think about what questions are in their mind. I want to try to answer as many questions that they may have sitting there so they don't walk out of here and say, okay, what about this? And what about that? And I don't know if he really answered this. So that's something that we should really come up in the first meeting and a discussion. If the person doesn't ask you, you should offer that information. And so I do. I talk about this is how it works. Now, and for anyone who's listened in the past knows, we talk about everything from estate planning to tax planning to all these different things that we do as a firm. You know, when I'm helping people with their tax planning or doing some, giving them ideas, there's no additional fees for anything else. It's very simple and transparent. So that's what I would say. Don't ever be shy about asking what the fees are. You should know that. you're, you're, you're They're obligated to tell you, and you have a right to know these things and it just makes for a better there's never that question of am, am, is everything up front here so that's how i approach it it just makes for a better relationship because then it's more open from there going forward and it makes for a better client advisor relationship on all other topics
1: yeah i think you know people there're two ways to go right you can hire somebody at on a flat fee and some people will work with you that way and they're mm-hmm. perfectly happy with it and then if you yeah. end up buying Other things from them down the line, they may make a commission on those. They should disclose that. I agree. So if if somebody says, you know, I can sell you a life insurance policy or I can sell you a long-term care policy, it's fair to ask how much are you going to get from that Mm -hmm. and really have an understanding of of what those costs are. I also think if you have more assets, it is absolutely fair to pay a little bit more for that, even if... You know, your perspective is, well, instead of buying 100 shares of this stock, maybe they're just buying Mm 10,000. Okay, there's still more work involved, right, Tom? I mean, don't you feel like it's not all the same if it's a million-dollar portfolio or a hundred-million-dollar portfolio? There's probably different things that go into it.
0: There can be different things that go into it as far as getting into more advanced planning with someone, and that's a whole huge conversation about you know, when those other issues come up. Now there can be fees for other things, but you know, when it comes to managing portfolios, for the most part, it's just all things being without getting that complicated with it. You know, there, it's just like with mutual funds, there's typically, or there used to be when there were. I guess they still are. There mutual funds are so passe anyway, in a certain way, but you know, there were these, what, what, <laughs> we're going to
1: come back to that comment.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't say that there's still good mutual funds out there, but, um, you know, there's what we call they call breakpoints where okay, if, if it's a half a million dollars and under or two hundred thousand and under, you, you you know, you may pay one point two percent, and then if it's a million, it's one percent. So that's pretty common in this industry because, you know, managing the portfolios, not including all the other advanced planning that might be necessary, those fees typically can go down as the assets go up.
1: The percentages go down, the total amount you pay is more.
0: It could be, yes. It could, could be
1: could be more. true. It right.
0: could be. Yep. It could be. All
1: yep. right. That's true. Um, 630-934-1855. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about how to diversify your income. We've talked about diversifying portfolios. Now we're going to diversify income, um, and Tom's got some suggestions on that as well. All that and more on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the second half of this week in wealth. If you're just joining us, I'm Elise Glink, CEO of Best Money Moves, my financial wellness company, and I'm here with Tom Fortino, who's the founder and principal of the Alpha Wealth Group. You can reach us at 630 934 1855. That number works if you want to call or text your question or comment. You can also go to alphawealthgroup.com, take advantage of all the cool information on the website that Tom provides and either leave a comment or question there or set up an appointment. All right, Tom. So for many Americans, as we've often discussed, Social Security is their main source of retirement income. Now, Smart Asset, which is a, a really interesting online portfolio company, I think, is the best way to describe it. Uh, they match you up with financial advisors, but they, they did a study that showed that the average retiree in the U.S. received between 40 and 50 percent of their total income from Social Security. Now, while it's never a good idea to have all of your financial eggs in one basket, right? Social Security Mm -hmm. feels like it's a different thing. But by the same token, I feel like it's important to diversify our retirement income. So if we're not less dependent on Social Security, at least we've got some other fallback positions, especially you know, with what's been going on, with you know the idea that we're going to have to cut back on Social Security someday. But what do you think about that? What do you think about diversifying retirement income? And does that really matter? Is it just getting the income regularly that matters?
0: No, it's 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 important to have different sources of income, of course, and so that mitigates risk, just like it does with having diverse or different types of investments. And so when you're looking at creating income, Social Security certainly, and we've seen the numbers, it typically I think they've said 40% or 50% of people's total inve- or income in retirement. That's a piece of it. But you can also take a look. Obviously, pensions are another income source because, again, we define income as a check that comes in every month, every two months, every week, or whatever it might be, that comes in regardless of what you have in investments. That's an example. You can also take a look at annuities because, again, If I wanna create income regardless, uh, and again, lifetime income, income that comes in every week, that's another way. You can almost create, in a way, your own pension. And, And what's interesting about using those as part of your plan is that you can set them up to create joint lifetime income. And so they last for both your lifetimes. So these are ways to not only create income, but protect it so it's there for your lifetime. You know, that's another example. And then, of course, investments. But we always have to say, technically, that's not a guaranteed income. You can set up a very solid dividend portfolio. You know, the dividend aristocrats is an example. They pay pretty high dividend yields that you can get. That's another example if you want to create income. and and so. But those are not guaranteed income. But yes, absolutely, you want the different sources of income. It's absolutely important to create an income plan that has these things and, and you protect from certain risks.
1: So I think that income is just one of those things that people wanted. Obviously, I want income. You want income. We yeah. all, you know, we're all thinking about that. But income alone is just not, you know, enough. I think of a of a plan, right? You you've talked so much about the mm-hmm. whole concept of retirement roadmap and having income is one thing, but there's also this idea that if we end up with another period of time where we have this crazy inflation. You know, your income has to be flexible enough, or you've got to have outside investments that you can use to draw, you know, Mm -hmm. more income, right? I I would hate for anybody to get into their 80s thinking they were in good shape, and now you're here, you've got inflation, last year was at 9%, now it's at like 6, 5, and 6%, Mm -hmm. stubbornly high, and suddenly your income just doesn't seem like it's enough, but you have nowhere else to draw from. How do you think about stuff like that, Tom?
0: Well, you know, you you put that definitely into someone's plan. So when you create an income plan, which I would say, you know, again, we do we do portfolio management. We've talked about that. We do other things, but I always say let's start with the cornerstone of your plan, which is creating income you can't outlive. So the decisions that you make down the road can be pretty impactful. For example, delaying Social Security for as long as possible, you will get the highest benefit if you wait till seventy, eight percent per year. You could see potentially a ten thousand dollar per year difference between age 65 and 70 or more right Mm -hmm. and the other thing about that is if you know for those that are married that higher benefit stays for both lives so this is how we try to incorporate some of this longevity risk and minimize it so that that's important that social security decision and i provide all of this information i just actually wrote my latest report the social security decision but you know, in addition to that, we talked, uh, just talked before about annuities. You can set up annuities that every year you defer, guess what? The income goes up. You can even ladder these. So one can turn on, you can leave another one alone, which is now going to give you a higher income down the road. But this is how you start to construct an income plan. And of course, you hope that you have this other pot, which are your investments, that again, you can use to supplement. And you can really design something where you can be pretty confident and you can test it and analyze it and say, yeah, I'm p- pretty confident you can sit back and say that myself, and if you're married, myself and my spouse, we're not going to outlive our income. And there's ways to try to get to that place.
1: What's the best age to buy an annuity? Like, do you <laughs> need one in your 40s? Or should you wait till you're 55? Should you do it when you're... Like, I don't. I actually don't know. When? No, that's a good how question. How do you think
0: about it? Well, I, I would shy away if you're in your 40s. I mean, everybody's different. And I guess maybe someone would have a different opinion, depending on how comfortable you are. Now, annuities are a whole discussion because there's different types of annuities. Some are not just for income guarantees. Some don't have income guarantees to the extent we, we're talking about them. Some are more for tax deferral because you get tax deferral with them. Some are more for principal protection because you can buy them for that. But if you're looking for an income guarantee, I would say, you know, 50 and under, you're, you know, I would shy away. And again, in most cases, as a general comment, maybe as you get to the 55 and so that age where you're trying to put things in place to create that guaranteed lifetime income that's when i would start looking at around that age so that's a really good question actually
1: let me ask a follow-up the and i know we just have a a minute left here so of course uh we can carry this on into the next segment but if i'm going to wait if i know i'm not going to stop working at 65 and maybe i know that i'm going to stop around 70, maybe later, but around 70, should I wait until I'm in my early 60s? Is there a benefit to buying them older rather than younger?
0: You know, again, it all depends, things change, but when you, the one benefit to having them, you know, at a certain point is once, as soon as you put them in place, these income, this is just how they work typically, the income guarantees continue to grow, so if you wait, you know five years you've you've potentially missed an opportunity for that income to grow by a certain amount every year you know we talk about like social security eight percent per year that's a delayed retirement on social security in some of these that you can use for a portion of your portfolio you've given up potentially that those guarantees right and so that's the difference between using these versus investments is it's a guarantee versus a probability will my money last will i be able to pull off thirty thousand a year or whatever the number is Maybe, but it's not a guarantee. So I, I kind of try, that's why I differentiate.
1: I have to ask you a little bit more about this, but we have to take a short break. Uh, we'll come back and finish this conversation with Tom Fortino, six three zero nine three four eighteen fifty five is our number. If you've got questions about anything or annuities, you can call that number or text or leave us a message at com. We'll be back in a moment with more on 720 WGN. Hey, welcome back everybody to This Week in Wealth. I'm Elise Glink here with Tom Fortino. You can call us or text us 630-934-1855 or go to alphawealthgroup.com. So, Tom, I just want to follow up on what we were talking about with regards to annuities. So I mm-hmm. had asked the question, what what is the right age to buy one? And you said it depends on on where people are. And then I asked well, are you better, you know, waiting if you're not going to need it, and need the income, you're not going to stop working until, say, 70, mm-hmm. you know, should you wait till you're 65? And you said, again, it depends on the type and all these different things. But I want to get at this question because what you said at the end was so interesting. You said, well, if you bought it at, say, 60, but you don't need it till 70, you would miss out on those years of appreciation. Could you explain how that would work?
0: Well, what I mean by that is when you put these in place, right, the way they typically work, and these are general, I'm giving you general comments, how most of them work. And I want to be clear, too, about one thing. The the account is, in the ones I'm talking about, the money that you put in is still invested. You still have what I like to call a walkaway value if you choose to take the monies out. Or if you don't go through it, it goes to your children and grandchildren. You don't give that up. But the point is, once you put it in, the income benefit will grow every year, the ones I'm talking about, every year by a certain percentage. Guaranteed, and so if you wait to do it, you know if it's going to grow. If let's say it's just like like Social Security, it grows by eight percent per year. Your income benefit. Well, if you don't do it at sixty, it's not growing at all. You're planning on waiting and going down the road to invest that money, but you've lost all those years of it. That income benefit growing guaranteed every year. So that's what I mean. You can put it in place to say, I know I'm going to, you know, to use it down the road. That's typically what makes sense. All
1: right. So your choice is: you keep investing the money somewhere and hope it grows x percent. There you go. And <laughs> or you buy the annuity and then they grow it for you at x percent.
0: Right, and you or now you, hope you know you may it's, not know. Yeah, it's recreating that certainty. In other words, as I get, you know, we've given these examples before. But if someone were to use it, I can tell them, and I'm, I'm again, I'm an investment advisor rep. We do manage portfolios. This one is not better than the other. I can't make guarantees on on the investment pieces. On this, I can say that I'm allowed to say you have a guaranteed income. So you put X number of dollars into this, I can tell you. At age 70, whatever that number is, you will have $30,000 of joint lifetime income. That's just a guarantee. So you know that. It provides maybe some more safety and clarity in your planning. That coupled with your, your Social Security, now you can say, I know at this age, Kind of again like a pension, I have an income coming in, and I know it's a lifetime income. So that's where it can fit into your plan if that's something you're looking to to create.
1: Okay, so let me ask you another question about that. So if for it sounds to me as you de- as you describe that, it almost is like buying a bond. Is it like buying a bond, where you would have, you know, a guaranteed income come out of that bond? But with an annuity, you have a different form of guaranteed income.
0: Well, technically, now if we're talking about bonds, you know, government bonds are the one thing that's considered a risk-free rate of return, and if you hold it to duration, so that's different. In other words, what happens is with these is you have a an income guarantee off of the investment that it grows every single year. In these examples that I am giving, that you can draw off of for the rest of your life. So it's not really a bond. A bond has a yield and an interest and if they're not government bonds they're technically not a guaranteed rate of return. So you have to be careful. The bonds can be part of that income plan. You know, as if you're getting, we know yields are a little better nowadays like the, the, the 10 year yes. you might get 3.5 or 3.6. That can be part of your income plan too but this is why we talked about having a diverse income plan. I can have yield from bonds and interest rates. I can have dividends coming in. That's a piece of it. Social Security is another piece of it and then we can do the annuity. So that's a lifetime income stream for myself. And if I'm married for my spouse and studies have shown that when people use these as part of their plan and they're not for everybody, but that provides a little more less stress. I think they feel a little more comfortable knowing that paycheck's coming in every month. And so I think it's important for people to understand how they work because there's certainly a lot of opinions on these. And as I've said, I try to stay away from opinions. I want you to understand how they work. So for anybody that wants to take them, that's how when we create an income plan, these are pieces that we look at. We say, how can we create income you can't outlive? And I'm more than happy if anyone wants an illustration or runs them things for them. I have a a report called The Truth About Annuities. We cover all of these things. And it's important that you're informed and you understand how they work. So you can make the best decision for you and your family.
1: And of course, as we always tell you, just go to alphawealthgroup.com. Download the report, uh, sign up, and and Tom will talk you through it. All right, let me shift gears for a moment because we do talk a lot about saving money in your 401k, but I got to tell you, Gen Z and younger millennials and even older millennials are using their 401ks like checkbooks. Mm -hmm. They're borrowing from them, writing checks to pay for things and then repaying it, and they don't think there's a problem because they're repaying it. And I get the people have hardships and they need immediate cash, and I get that times are tough. But I know you would agree with this. I hate the idea that people are borrowing from the future to pay for today's emergencies. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are some huge long-term ramifications to that. And so, I'm I want to understand what what you think people, you know, should do and how to deal with this kind of stuff. What do you think?
0: Well, there's a reason there's a penalty. Now, I know this is a loan and you may it may not be considered a distribution unless you don't pay it back, but you know, there's a reason they have these penalties. It's an incentive. You have 59 and a half. You're not supposed to touch this money. There's a reason for that, right? Right. 59 and a half. Don't touch it. Otherwise, we're going to penalize you. And apparently, in some cases, that doesn't work. But, you know, again, if you take loans out, all of these things, you're really, I don't want to be too dramatic about you're sabotaging your future it's almost like these are sacred you got to keep that stuff alone you got to continue you got to commit to it because that's gonna make all the difference in the world down the road for you and so yes I can't say enough about you know, I would not you don't want to be using your retirement plan um, even if you're creating debt somewhere else this is kind of where I look at it. I'm not saying you suggesting you ever create debt but leave your retirement plans alone and deal with your debt separate from those if you want to pay down debt at some point down the road do that but really try to stay away from Tapping into your retirement plans. Because once you disrupt those, now it starts you down a slippery slope.
1: Yeah, i I got to say, I think it gets harder and harder to repay that 401k. Yep. And so then you just cut your losses, and then you owe a 20% or a 40% tax bill to Uncle Sam. You're going to hate that down the line the following you know, April. It is a very slippery slope. So really the question is, why the heck do you feel like you need to borrow from that 401k? What's happening in your life that Mm -hmm. you can't control those expenses? And I, I get it. Sometimes it might be somebody died and you had to pay for a funeral and you just weren't expecting that. Or it might be that, you know, I've seen people do it because they want to go to the Bahamas. (laughs) <laughs> on a trip and I'm yeah. like you don't no. need to go to the Bahamas nobody needs to go to the Bahamas
0: no you definitely don't need to
1: so there to me this is a you know you've really got to take a long hard look at what's going on with your expenses and just yeah, it's make always about commitment.
0: paying yourself first too right that again yeah. that's that's the discipline and I just you've seen it I'm sure at least all of a sudden 10 20 years down the road I always say to people you know they've got a few hundred thousand and it's like this didn't happen by accident it was diligence, it was, you know, you committed to it, and all of a sudden, boy, it, it really can be impactful.
1: Yeah, it can. And, you know, and I had this question on the air, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was filling in uh, for John Hansen on Your Money Matters. What percent should I put into my 401k? You know, how much money should I be saving? And we always say, you know, first is you save to the level of the match. If you get free match yeah. from your employer, that is number 1 what you do whether that's 6%, 4%, 4% up to 20,000. You know, the next thing is you save the maximum you can in a 401k beyond the match. Cuz it's right there, it's super easy, you can go and do that. But overall, my perspective is 15 to 20% of your take-home pay Should be put away. Now, you could try doing it for gross. I mean, for years, Sam and I saved 20%, 25% of our gross. Mm -hmm. And that was in the the lean years, and that was in the good years. Mm -hmm. We just always put it away. You got the tax deduction for it. But even beyond that, we were investing. I think those are the right numbers. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think those are the right numbers. I think we have to. We were talking about target date funds in the past and how they work. And, you know, that's all part of it. But I know it's tough. But understand the what these will offer you. Number one, there's some of the highest contribution levels out there. twenty two five if you're under age 50, 30000 a year if you're over age 50. Not many other ret- plans out there where you can put that much money into a plan either tax-deferred or tax-free. There's also Roth 401Ks. So there's so many layers to how you really take advantage and maximize this retirement plan that's available to you. If you have it available to it, really take the time. Call your 401K provider. First of all, ask them, what what am I contributing? Can you up it by 1% or 2%? Number one. Number two, what is the match? A lot of people don't understand, and I get it gets a little complicated. Number three, what is my, do I have a Roth option, and maybe I want to start putting more money into the tax-free piece of it? We talked about understanding your investments. Really take advantage of this piece of your retirement plan, because this is a vehicle that can really be impactful in your retirement.
1: Well, we are out of time. Uh, as always, it's too soon mm-hmm. to cut off these conversations. But you can continue with your money and Tom uh, at alphawealthgroup.com. Just leave him a message, and I know that he'll be happy to get back to you. Or call 630-934-1855. I hope you have a great week, and we will talk to you again here next week on This Week in Wealth on 720 WGN. Tom Fortino is an investment advisor representative of Retirement Wealth Advisors, LLC, and SEC-registered advisor. Alpha. Wealth Group, WGN, and RWA are not affiliated. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell any financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals specialized in fields of tax, legal, accounting, or investments regarding the applicability of this information for their situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate, and when redeemed, may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company and are not offered by retirement wealth advisors. Insurance and annuities offered through Alpha Wealth Group, licensed in Illinois. Tom Fortino and Alpha Wealth Group are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency.